Well, hey there, sweet peas. Welcome back to Friendless. I'm your pal, James Avramenko, back once again with a brand new episode. This week, I'm joined by theater producer, treasurer, board member extraordinaire, and all-around incredible fella, Landon Walizer. I met Landon through my work in the Saskatoon theater scene, so buckle up because this episode is theater heavy. It was an absolute treat to catch up with him, though, and I think you're going to love this one. So for now, lean back, get comfy, set your volume at a reasonable level, and enjoy my interview with the one and only Landon Walizer here on Friendless. Um, so this week on Friendless, I have an old friend from Saskatoon, a former a former board member of the SPC. Um, I'm not even sure if you're still involved in that. We can talk about that, but um, and uh, and all kinds of other uh, he's a member of all kinds of other theater communities. Um, the one, the only, only Landon Walizer. How are you today? I'm all right, James. I am anxious as ever. Oh, Otherwise, no. good. <laughs> anxious, anxious. Not um, about this. Just general anxiety. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. The just the 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 like the the overall the overhanging malaise of it all, right? <laughs> Correct. Yes. <laughs> Um, so, you know, just to get kind of get the ball rolling, um, I always start with just like really blunt, very sledgehammery question of Landon, um, who the hell are you? Uh, so I guess the best way that I would describe myself is I'm a theater artist based in Regina. Um, for those listening, James and I have never actually met in person. That's right. We oh my were god, in I didn't million meetings that. together for like the entirety of the pandemic, and that's how we met each other. But we have never met in person. Wow, <laughs> I never even registered that. That's incredible. No, because when you moved from Saskatoon, my first thought was, I was like, "There goes the chance." <laughs> like, now I don't know if I'll ever see James again. <laughs> crazy and what's so funny what's so funny is like the moment you came on the call um it was immediately so so familiar to me because this is the exact angle yeah. i've known you as like it's it's like um it's like a kids show where it's just always the exact same angle and it's just like the big friendly giant kind of thing you know <laughs> <laughs> it's a big comfy couch except it's mm-hmm. not that comfy and it's falling apart fair, fair. <laughs> Uh, but I guess to answer the question, I am a theater artist based in Regina. Um, I work primarily as a director and producer, and I've kind of just been employed by a bunch of different companies. I was the intern artistic director, um, artistic directing intern. I can't remember how they worded it with the globe for a while, working with (laughs) the artistic director, Jennifer Bruin. Um, I'm the producer for the women's company. I am the creative administrator for OnQ, and I am still a volunteer for uh, the Sasclarite Center Board of Directors, and I am gotcha. still the treasurer, although I've been trying to get out of the treasury position <laughs> for forever because I'm treasurer or like in charge of financials for way too many things. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it is, it's it's so funny. I mean, I don't want to launch directly into a, a too much theater talk, although I think that it's going to be unavoidable with, with, with you. Um, uh, but it's like, <laughs> it was funny, the experience of boards, because like, treasurers are so rare, because so few people are um, financially literate on, on, uh, in the theater world. So it's like a, it's a, it's a really treasured um, uh, uh, position, uh, very rare, you know, you're like a shiny Pokemon. 
having now had so much experience doing financials for different organizations, it also, I think, is a lot like that on my end because I'll look at something for one organization and I'm like, this makes complete sense to me. And then I look at something for another organization, even if I've been there for forever, and I'm like, this is gibberish. Yes. I have no concept of what this is because it's just, it's especially when it's financial speak, every time we have to do an audit or I have to work with an auditor, I'm like, I can give you all the info I have, but like, if you tell me something in auditor language, yeah. I'm done. I have literally no idea what you're talking about. You need to explain it to me in the most basic terms. <laughs> oh yeah. I used to always feel so bad when, when I worked for the SPC, I always felt so bad because whenever financial stuff would come up and we would either talk, be, be talking to the, the first uh, account we had or the, the new ones and they would be asking me this stuff and I would just be like, well, the, um, this is the file I have, <laughs> you know, like I, I, I have no idea. I, 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 I wish I could help you, but this is what I have. These are numbers and they're terrifying to me. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the thing I've established is even people who think they know what's going on in the arts, though, if they're not accountants, it seems that they like, they really just don't know. I had someone who's done it for years, very experienced, who was like, I want this kind of report. And I was like, great. Went, learned how to do that report for them, started giving that report, um, you know, for the monthly uh, check-in with them. And they were like, this isn't what I want at all. I want this other thing. And I'm like, that is not even functionally the same as what you have asked for. Yeah. It's it's the strangest thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, the whole board system. I mean, I I yeah. just it, it, the, everything, you know, so so to give you a little context for myself, just because like we haven't spoken in like two years. Um like I, I have like no contact whatsoever with theater. I, I'm just like completely fundamentally out of it. Um, I wondered so, that. Yeah, no, I'm just like I was just done. Um, and so it, it's so funny, like reconnecting with with theater people because, um, it, it in some ways, it, it feels like um, how do I put this? Like without sounding like a dickhead, it's like in some ways it feels like I've been kind of like deprogrammed from the cult, you know, and I sort of like, and I sort of like, I look back, I feel like that woman who does that, like going clear documentary, you know, who's yeah, like, Leah Remini. thank you. Yes. Yeah. And I look, and I hear about the problems and I'm like, that's nuts. You should just get a job. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's not fucking worth it. It's just not worth it at all. You know, and, and hearing how, how many different, you know, responsibilities you hold in the community. It, it just sounds so, like it, my heart immediately starts racing, you know, and I like, oh. like, how do you, how do you hold that stuff down? How do you hold it together? Um, I honestly don't really know because like, I'm not, I'm not a drinker really uh, outside of socially. I do take um, CBD as anxiety medication, but my anxiety is completely not related to my job. Right. Uh, at least in any sort of like main way. Sure. I'm sure it is based in a stress way, but yeah. I don't know. I like, and it's one of those weird things because me and as you know, my brother and my sister are also theater people. Mm -hmm. We all work in kind of similar streams of it as well as like kind of our individual streams. Um, like Rachel and Carson both do costume. I don't really do costume, but Carson also kind of does directing Carson and Rachel do writing. Um, and like, it's, it comes and goes in waves. A lot of the time it's fine. There's some days where, you know, like I think with, as with any kind of like art form where you just, you want to be done with it. It's yes. so, it's so hard to feel like sticking with it because you're, you know, you're not getting the projects off the ground that you want to get off the ground or you're not getting the funding for whatever. 
Mm-hmm. But no, I I do think it is. I think most things kind of have that cult speak when you get into them far enough. Any kind of job where there's like a culture around it too yes. has that. Um, and the arts in particular, because they're also like, they they have their own kind of funding model, especially mm-hmm. in Canada. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult um, to not get sucked into like the culture yes. of the work. Well, and what was strange for me, I, uh, forgive me, I'm not trying to like do some kind of like gotcha journalism here, but it's just like, it's like, <laughs> but it's just, you know, to me, it's really interesting to be able to, to, talk, to talk to someone like you because you have, you have experience on both sides of the stage, which is something that I really value. And, and, and not everyone in the community does have that experience between like doing the creative side, but also the administrative side. And yeah. it's sometimes really hard to discuss the logistics of how a theater organization genuinely runs with people who only do the creative side because yes. a, a lot of times there's there's this attitude of like well that doesn't make sense just don't do that and it's like no you fundamentally have no idea how a board works or like how like uh, a not-for-profit works you know and yeah. so it's like that's just not that's not possible and that's fucked you know it, it you're you're right it should work better but it doesn't and and you know the way i think creatives attack the problem doesn't often actually solve the grander problem of the system. Uh, no, it doesn't. Tremendous. And I think that there's also like, there's a really kind of unique issue in my mind of Saskatchewan for sure, but I think probably it extends across the prairies more generally because we have so few kind of like larger scale theaters mm-hmm. where there is also just this kind of like inherent lack of experience in yes. working in like larger scale professional theater. And so when you s- start getting groups that are kind of moving into that, of their own accord for whatever reason, mm-hmm. um, the like the problems become incredibly clear either because they don't know like roughly how like a professional kind of like organization should run or how they would organize something, but also because there's inherent flaws in the professional system that don't really like match up with some of these things that you need them to match up with when you're working with like, you know, community groups or grassroots groups. Mm-hmm. So I, let's take it back a little bit, though, because I want to, you know, I, I, I'd love to figure out what got you to, you know, what got you to the dance in terms of like when you joined the, the SPC board. Um, um, like where where did your sort of um, where did this uh, how do I put it? Who hurt you? You know, uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> where where did this this, um, you know, this anxious attachment to theater come from? Um, I mean, I'd been doing theater for a long time by the time I joined the board. Um, I had done theater pretty much since I was 13 and, you know, one way or another. Um, mostly that obviously from the time you're 13 is like through school. But I also did it through a couple like summer programs and things like that. And then I went to university and I originally was not enrolled in theater. I was enrolled in um, education for Mm. like one very sad week that I did not attend classes. This was before (laughs) actual semester had started. I was in education because I was just like, oh, like that'll be a good safety net. And then I had the enrollment letter for like a week and I was like, I absolutely do not want to do that. Mm. Um. And then switched into the film program. I did the whole the film program for my whole first semester, and I did really like it. Um, but it wasn't teaching the things I really wanted to learn. Um, it was a lot of like technical stuff around how cameras work, how to frame shots, which was stuff that I had more experience in and was you know relatively comfortable learning 
outside of a classroom and the things that I wanted to learn in the classroom, like how to direct actors, um, like the fundamentals of storytelling and of script development, stuff like that, that I felt was really good to learn with another person or with a group of people was not what they focus on in the first year of uh, film at the University of Regina. Sure. Uh, or they didn't at the time. This was 10 years ago. So went into the theater department, did theater for my whole degree, finished my theater degree in 2016. And then we, I was working on a show that we toured for a couple of years, kind of came back. There was this big kind of call to action from the Regina community shortly after we got back from that tour because nobody was getting professional jobs here. Mm -hmm. um, so people were kind of stuck in this limbo between vocational and avocational theater, even if they had been trained in, you know, pretty much every way, shape or form, you could be trained for a vocation in theater. They just weren't getting work here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so there was this big kind of like call to action from the community around how can we change that? Where are the problems? What's going on? And then COVID happened. Yes. And so the, I joined the board in the middle of COVID because I got a call from a professor that I used to work with who basically said, we need people on the board. And I said, sure, because there was nothing else going on for theater yeah. at the time. And and, uh, and they and you've never been able to shake free since, eh? Not since. <laughs> Technically, based on board terms, I'm probably supposed to be ending after this year. It should right. be like a three-year term. Right. Um, but, you know, you. I mean, you were there for most of it. So we had yeah. some fun adventures. We yes. got some great money the um digital now grant that you wrote is like just finishing up now we filmed a bunch of shows so we're going great. to have a little spring fest of new work amazing um yeah um what is the experience like on your end um as a board member because uh, it strikes me as just such a bizarre it's like it's like this weird you have like the boards have like too much power in not-for-profit organizations as i see it but they also like are usually volunteers so it's this really bizarre push-pull of like no one on the board really wants to do anything but they also are sort of technically the ones in like they're the shadowy back room of theater yeah. you know and and i'm curious what your what your experience has been like in you know in as much as i guess you're comfortable to talk about because maybe you don't want to be like you know well, I'm, like I've said before, I'm kind of also I'm on enough boards or I have involvement with enough boards that I can talk about them pretty freely because there's just there's like four or five that I have involvement with or have had involvement with over the years. And it really it really kind of has varied. The I was on a board when I was first in university for a while, um, which functioned really well. It was actually a really great board. Um, and then my partner at the time cheated on me with the board chair um so that fell apart fabulous <laughs> fabulous um but of the ones i'm like i'm currently on it's it's really varied some are like organizations where they don't have enough funding to do what they want to do they need a lot of like we just there needs to be a lot of help from the boards the board's kind of always stepping up to the plate always trying to find funding mm -hmm. um get things to a place where, you know, they're able to kind of just like function on as day-to-day -day operations. And then there's others where, you know, I'm answering to a board or I'm like in a like kind of member at large capacity. And those boards are usually larger and more well-established, not always, but more, usually more well-established, um, which 
I think are obviously a lot nicer to be on. Mm. They're a lot um, less stressful to be on. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you usually have a lot higher level of responsibility. There's usually a lot more oversight. Yes. Um, and or a lot more disagreement among the members of those types of boards. Sure. Um, I guess when yeah. you're when you know when you're the board of an organization that has one employee, it's a little it's a little different than like well, an actual like, company. With, with on cue, like now it's weird because I was on the board basically as a volunteer co-creator of the organization, and now I am the employee, so I answer right. to the steering committee. They don't call themselves a board. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, so that's fun because then there's also a different side of that because I am the only employee of a yeah. large organization. You know, the real the real roots of this this whole project is the exploration of of friendship and intimacy and connection and 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 all these kinds of that whole cloud of uh, of sentiments. And, you know, at the end of the day, it really boils down to the question of what it means to be a friend and um, and realizing that what a lofty and open ended question that is. Uh, I, I love putting it to guests um, to kind of get their personal interpretations on it. So um, that's where I'll start is to you. What does it mean to be a friend? Uh, so when I looked over this, when you sent it several weeks ago and you kind of sent the introductory package, I was thinking about it a lot. And I think what I kind of boiled it down to, in my head at least, is that it's someone who can be there for you. Hmm. And that there's obviously like various shades of what that means. Uh, there's various kind of levels and shades of friendship. Like you, there's best friends who you would tell anything to, but you know that you probably can't be there for each other all the time for, you know, one reason or another, but you mm-hmm. would tell them anything. And there's friends that you would always be there for, even if you might not tell them everything and you might call them your best friend. There's like, there's just so many shades and kind of uh, gradations of like what friendship means, but it kind of, to me, always boils down to that you're there for each other in some mm. way. Do you find yourself, are you someone... Um, are you someone who everyone's your best friend or you have no best friends? Because uh, I find, I, I, I find everyone is. No best friends. Yeah, okay. Like I would say I have a few kind of like best friends, but they tend to be people I've known for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have like, uh, <laughs> this sounds bad. They, I, it's kind of like the final girl because sure. it's like one little stage of my life where that one person is the only one who makes it out as mm-hmm. my friend. Mm-hmm. And then they, we stay friends for a very long time. Yeah. Um, so like my, but they always die in the sequel, you know, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting here wearing my Jason Voorhees cardigan. Uh, um, but yeah, so like I have a best friend that like I've known since, uh, like preschool um, and we like we barely speak to each other just because of our lives being like that but like if she's in town we always try to see each other mm. um, and then like I have a best friend from high school um, who we usually talk every day mm. like or we usually text every day I should say we don't usually talk every day but we text every day mm-hmm. um, and then like obviously like my partner is my best friend yeah um, and like my brother and my sister and like my family are all like different kind of levels of best friend. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it really, it really depends. Like the, I can think of kind of like one person from each kind of little stage of my life. There's one person from elementary school there's one person from middle school, one person mm-hmm. from high school, one person from university. And then otherwise it's like my family or my partner. Yeah. I love that. You know, I, I, I envy, I think, 
I don't know if envy is the right word, but like, you know, m- my family, um, you know, bless them. Uh, they all live on the other side of the country. Right. Um, you know, like they're all they're all in like Nova Scotia. And so it's like really difficult to be close with my family, you know, um, and and I, I find myself. Yeah, I guess I do come back to the word envious of, of, of people who have family nearby who can have those strong ties, you know, because I I I oscillate all the time between like uh valuing chosen family over blood family but um i think having that option is something that i that i you know uh i think is a really beautiful opportunity in someone's life you know and also you know i mean obviously i've met your sister i I, i've never met your brother but like you know seeing the bond that you had is something that's really like um what's the word for it you know it it looks like something that i wish i had right yeah yeah, and like, thankfully, I didn't have to do that kind of like long distance family relationship for a long time. It's only been kind of in the last few years where my brother, because we all ended up going to school in Regina, so we were living together mm-hmm. here. And then my brother ended up going to do another degree program or a certificate program, I think, at Grant McEwen. Mm-hmm. And then his partner got into a school in Vancouver, so now he's in Vancouver. Gotcha. Um, so now, like, we do have to function in a very different way. And, like, the, I think the only thing that's made it slightly easier is that my partner for so long was also in the UK. That's so right. my family was all here, and we were all very close kind of geographically, like, we, at the very least within a few hours of each other, if not literally in the next room. Yeah. But he was eight hours away, and now he's here full time. Okay, so uh, we did get through, because I remember, I remember what, especially during the, because obviously during the pandemic, he was, like, basically locked out, and I, I remember there was all kinds of drama going on about, like, him coming in, but, like, maybe not necessarily even being able to get into the country, and, like, that all kind of got settled through. Uh, I mean, kind of. We, he, so we put in his application during the pandemic, that all happened. Um, he got his permanent residency and was able to come over at the beginning of 2022, um, he still has not received his PR card, which we've been dealing oh, with. Shit. That's an awful nightmare. But he has his permanent residency. He just doesn't have the card. Right. Um, because it never showed up and we put in requests and then they never get answered and then they answer them and they just close them and it's nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, he's here. <laughs> um, yeah, that was that was a nightmare. The two yeah. years that like we just we had no idea when we'd be able to see each other again. Yeah. Horrendous. How did you, and how did you meet him? Uh, we met online actually, and not through like a dating app or anything back in 20 late, late 2013, really early 2014. Um, he used to blog a lot and he had done like a blog post about his kind of coming out story. And I had responded to it. Um, and we just started chatting and that was kind of it adorable and had you ever had you ever met in person before him coming like through the pandemic or or had he yeah yes. going? oh okay okay yeah no no we had met multiple times he had lived here before um mm. he was locked up during the pandemic so he came here in 2014 about six months after we met for two weeks um and then came back in 2015 for another two weeks which was a lot less fun i was miserably sick during that one um <laughs> I had bronchitis. Great. <laughs> time for that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then in 2016, I went over there for two weeks um, to meet his family. And then 2017, he came over for six months on a visitor's 
like tourist visa. Mm. And then he came back about five months after that for two years on a working visa. Gotcha. And then at the end of that, he went back. And then about a month after he went back, the pandemic hit. Lockdown. Oh my God. What a nightmare. I, yeah. you know, I, I remember hearing just snippets of it and it just sounded like, you know, it, it's moments like that where I was just like, oh, fuck it, open the borders, you know, because <laughs> like, <it's> like, <laughs> you know? like so much of me was like, lock it down, JT, like, who cares? Fuck them all. And then I hear yeah. these stories and I'd be like, OK, except for you can let him through, you know, <laughs> well, and like it was so bad because his he, he and his and a couple of members of his family are like severely asthmatic. So because it was a fucking like. Uh, the word is completely escaping, but because it was an illness that was affecting lungs yeah. and everything, I was just like, it was never ending anxiety. Right? I can't even tell you how bad the anxiety was when I would leave some of those Zoom meetings with you. Because I'm like, oh, there were days where I was literally just like lying in bed, hyperventilating. Yeah. But, oh, <laughs> man. Um, yeah. Well, God. And it's like, it's not like it was better being in the UK, you know? Like, no. Yeah. <laughs> No, and like they were in the middle of Brexit. Oh God. Oh God. <laughs> everything it's just a, everything was a nightmare. <laughs> what is something you miss about not seeing each other as often as we used to? Keeping in mind, we never met in person, but we I know. Well, that's honestly the thing. That's the thing that kind of bo- just boggled my mind when you mentioned that. Um, because, yeah, we were talking, if not almost every day, like every week, no question, you know? Yeah. Um, well, and I'm like, and there were several times where we were meeting would end and you and I would just stay on. And well, chat. and that was, you know, when I think about that, that I think that's because, you know, I'm trying really hard not to default to like nothing because it's like it wasn't it wasn't that <laughs> at all. You know what I mean? It wasn't that at all. But like my impulse just like because like my experience with SPC sucked, you know, just to be like honest about that. But like yeah. but what I really appreciated about you was exactly what you brought up, which is that like we would end up chatting sometimes for a couple hours afterwards and we would just be, and we would just shoot the shit. And it was just like, we talked video games and movies and like, and it was really like, that was such a comfort to me, you know, and, and was just such a relief and a bit of a release, you know, in that it was like, cause those meetings could be so weird sometimes and so loaded and so like, unnecessarily stressful for like what we were doing and and then we'd sort of end the meeting and i would feel so like weird and janky and 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 then you know we would just talk about horror movies or we would talk about you know something like that and it was like that one time i remember that yes (laughs) right exactly exactly right you know and so yeah that was the stuff that i really you know and 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 throughout it all like I really appreciated you being on the board because I knew no matter how weird it was going to get and the like on camera meetings that you would have and and all this stuff, I always knew that like, I was never going to, how do I put it? It's like, it's not like, how do I say this? It's just, it was just comforting to know I could look over at least to you and be like, there's at least somebody who like may not agree with me a hundred percent, but like, isn't going to just like, 
but it's going to respect you as a person. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Thanks for putting it like that. Cause that's exactly right. You know, like, yeah, I didn't need you to blindly, blindly support me, but like, it was just nice to know I wasn't just like me against the whole board, you know? Yeah. Um, and that was, that was definitely a comfort for me. Well, that's nice. Yeah. yeah. I miss, I know, I know it wasn't a great time for you for like a myriad of reasons, mm. but I'm like, it felt so much more fun, I think, to have you. Yeah. Um, not that's not like fun in other ways now, but I'm like, I think like you and I did vibe in a way that I don't think I have with a lot of people that I've been on boards with. Totally. And even though, you know, you weren't a board member, it was like, it was, it was just great to like listen to what you wanted to talk about. I thought you had such great ideas that you always brought to the table. I liked that you and I had kind of the same um, type of ideas, I guess, in mm. that although we were like kind of working in the sphere of theater, we also like to think more on traditionally. Yeah. Like we talked about like, how can you integrate podcast? How can you integrate publishing? How can you integrate all of these things into mm -hmm. this kind of like, especially in Saskatchewan, I think very siloed off community. Exactly. Doesn't interact with these other art forms. Yeah. Well, and that I think was always at the root of so many of my frustrations with the theater community in general was that I was like, you know, to me, the spirit of theater is movement. It's not about like I never understood the the sort and of like collaboration. Well, it's okay. Thank you. Exactly. That's exactly the other side of it. But because like to me, I never understood the sort of like idealization of like the regional theaters or like the desire for these big contracts when it was like like the purpose of the regional theater system was for for plays to travel through them it was so that there was theaters in every city as they traveled and and you knew you would have lighting and a stage and a you know and so it was like it was built for for a tour it wasn't built for lo you know for locals to work and so i i never i could never compute the like the vitriol and the like resentment and then like the entitlement to to for, for locals to desire these contracts when it was like no like make a play and go put it on in in winnipeg or you know go put it on in in halifax or something you know like like those those aren't really for you and and it, it's one of the frustrations i have not just with with saskatchewan but with like regional theater attitudes in general it's why i see that whole system as like fundamentally broken from what it was intended to be um because all of theater has become so stagnant and so siloed you know and and the way that it breaks up is by doing things like experimenting with new mediums and experimenting with like what can cross over, you know, um, like, you know, theater is a fundamentally unique type of experience in that, like, if you have a story that works better as a, as a movie, like you should just go make that movie. You shouldn't bother putting it on stage, you know, yeah. like, like, but, but that doesn't mean that there aren't elements that can be incorporated from film or from, digital media of any kind onto the stage and create a yeah. new experience, you know? And I, yeah, I just never understood the, like, yeah, that sort of, that, um, I loved, you know, the siloing and the sort of like it, but it was like, it was like a self-imposed isolation, you know? Uh, yeah. And I'm like, it's, it's strange. I don't know if I fully agree with you about the regional theater thing. Cause I do think that part of that, like the mandate of any sort of organization like that should be to provide opportunities for artists so that they can step up to that kind of level sure um, but i agree like it's not like there's not there shouldn't be an entitlement to it there should be yeah. um that kind of like built into the mandate and that i do think that there is 
more of a shift in that happening here, at least I can't speak for elsewhere that I've been liking, but at the same time, they're like the regional theater kind of system is not going to be the most flexible system. They have like the, between the boards that they answer to the funders yeah. that they answer to, they are not the places that can often do a lot of the experimentation that you're seeing from like the independent artists. 100%. But then the independent artists aren't getting money from funders because the yeah. funders are busy funding the regional theaters. And yeah. it's just, it's a vicious oh, yeah. cycle. Oh, the whole, <laughs> the, 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 the Ouroboros of theater funding is, yeah. is, like v- vulgar you know in my eyes um what i mean about the regional the stuff is that like the concepts you know as i vaguely remember it from like theater history in w- when i yeah. took it in like 2007 was that like you know the intention was to to have places to tour theater uh, to tour plays and 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 to me like what i would posit would be that like those theaters should be creating systems to make it easier for artists around the country to be considered for roles in all the theaters, not just the yes. local theater. No, and that's, you know? that's, I agree with like, it should be like, when you're looking at the kind of like regional theater, it shouldn't be this one regional theater should be providing all these opportunities. Exactly. It should be this one is providing an opportunity for people to step up and get into that system. Exactly. Exactly. And, like, you know, you know, in an ideal world, there's still going to be too many actors, not of enough parts. There of always course. is. People yeah. want to be actors. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like the like the opportunity for training and for experience, that type of thing to me is the more important kind of like note to hit there. But yes, I always appreciated your like unique take on something. Because um, yeah, it's fun. And I don't feel like a lot of people always are able to bring something like that to the table. Totally. Well, and it was, you know, and I don't say this with, uh, I'm sure this will come out sounding wrong, but it was like, my experience in this, in the Saskatoon community was that it was like, it was almost like, um, people would like go and spend like a summer in Toronto and like never book a part and then come back and just live forever in Saskatoon and like think that that was their like rumspringer or something, you know? And, and that was sort of like, (laughs) That was sort of like all the like worldly experience they ever needed, you know, and and there was just a very there was a really entrenched lack of curiosity about stepping out of the community that I never really understood, you know, and and having come into it from outside and having lived in multiple parts of the country and having worked in multiple parts of the country, I I couldn't understand the like um, stubbornness of like, you know, like that's not how we do things around here. And it's like, well, what you do sucks. So, like, <laughs> you know, like... no, I like people are always asked, like, you know, like if I start working with someone who is like a very established professional, that's like, why are you still working here? Like the, especially like with the type of work you do, like, it's just not the type of work that's usually done here. And I'm like, because I can't afford to go anywhere else. Well, so I have yeah. to do it here. <laughs> Big time. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, like I have, I've been to England. I've seen lots of shows in England. I've seen lots of shows in New York and Toronto. I actually, the only place I don't think I have seen a show is Vancouver. No, I have seen them one in Vancouver. I saw an opera in Vancouver. Oh, cool. But I'm like, I like, I've done a lot of things. I like to see shows everywhere. I would like to work in more places, but I'm just like the financial reality of that is also just like, (laughs) that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, and that's the other side of it. And I think that that's one of the failings of the, like, I think that's one of the things that the, the, you know, whether it's the regional theater system or whatever, whoever it is at that tier, I think that's one of their failings 
in terms of building up the network nationally is that like they've dropped the ball in creating opportunities for artists to actually be able to feasibly travel in a way that um, hasn't been possible since the fucking 1970s, you know? And so yeah. it's just, you know, they've, they've, you know, you talked about like, they've just hoovered up all the funding, you know, like there are theaters that I've worked at um, where like are getting hundreds of thousands of dollars a year from Canada council. And if you look at the budget, not a penny of it even makes it past the head office you know like it doesn't even make it to the stage because of the like exorbitant salaries and all the shit that's going on so it's like i don't even know how they're funding these plays because all the money's going in the pockets of the administrators you know and and yeah. and so like that's that's a fundamental failure um in terms of what that theater is supposed to be doing for its community you know yeah and i like thankfully i've been lucky enough I think over the last year I've worked with a lot of either people who are like really kind of devoted to like the indie theater scene. Um, I don't like, I don't can't remember if you actually had ever met Jennifer when she took over at the globe as the AD, but no, like, uh, we'd like emailed between each other, you know? Yeah. Like Jennifer is like interest and experience is so heavily rooted in that kind of like indie theater scene, mm. which I think is really interesting because it's such a unique perspective for someone who is working at a theater at that level mm -hmm. but then like just this last year like working as the like saskatchewan producer for riser which is a co-production with why not theater like the people at why not theater are also like everything they do there is this kind of like indie productions that are coming up through that system mm -hmm. and their whole like purpose is these kind of new artists and new productions mm -hmm. that they're providing platforms for and it's just really interesting because all of these things that we've kind of been working towards that like are projects you'd never hear about mm -hmm. in the regular kind of theater community i think here um like we still i keep trying to explain to people like that riser is specifically targeted to people who are in that kind of like weird in between of being emerging artists who have never had a professional gig doing something at a professional grade hmm. and sure enough like we had artists who were applying for funding from canada council this year and because they were being undersigned by like why not theater they're getting $60,000 for an independent yeah. production. And I'm like, that's incredible to me. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. yeah. For their, like for these little indie shows that are running for 10 performances here. Mm -hmm. But now finally everyone's being paid and everyone's exactly. being paid equity wages. Mm -hmm. And it's like, great. That's mm -hmm. what we want. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. And equity. And it's so funny how it's like, we're all fighting tooth and nail for equity wages, which are still fucking nuts. Like, you think about like what someone like a you you think about what a stage manager is being paid by equity rates and like the argument of like you're working six days a week, crazy fucking hours, and then it's like yeah. it's for tooth and nail for like thirty thousand dollars a year, you know, yeah. and it's just like, and that's all they're demanding, you know, like you look at like the writer's strike going on and it's like they're not uh, asking for say, ridiculous the writer's right? strike at the oh my god the strikes in the states the the whole AI acting thing yeah I, just, like, I can't even get into yeah the nonsense that is just coming out like i think fran drescher did one one of the interviews that she did talking about um the actors union and she was just like like the, these aren't people anymore like the, some of these executives are proposing these ideas are like just so fundamentally detached mm -hmm. from the reality of just being a working person that mm -hmm. it never enters their mind that you know, having someone come in, you scan them and you pay them for one day and replace them with an AI background person. Like that's a human. 
that's a human. That was a person who yeah. should have been paid daily for their work. Yeah. But it goes into their pockets. And so what do they care? You know? Yeah. Um, you know, that, that, um, uh, once again, I'm trying to like, ooh, we're, we're, we gotta, we got to, we got to keep, keep our heads up, right? work. Right? <laughs> well, well, you know, we'll keep on dipping our toes back in, but we got to kind of break it up a little bit. Um, I mean, inevitably this question is going to probably loop us into a, into a little, you know, a, what's the equivalent of like a theater K hole, you know, a little T hole, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, but, um, you know, one of the new questions I've been incorporating this season is this question of community. You know, if, if, if friendship is like a bond between like kind of a one on one, then, you know, community is the sort of expansion of that, you know. And and again, as I've been caveating with all the questions this season, is that like it's one of those words where I, when I hear it, there's sort of like a pragmatic, you know, obvious definition. And then there's this much more nebulous kind of almost like emotional definition within myself. And. And I'm really curious what, I guess to start with, like what does community mean to you? This was the one I had a harder time with when I was looking at, because like the kind of like the, I guess, knee-jerk reaction answer that I had was basically the same as the friendship one, that it's kind of like a group of people who are there for each other, you know, to Mm -hmm. whatever extent, as much as they can. But then... Uh, like, I agree. There's a more interesting kind of nebulous definition of it. Cause like the first thing that came to my mind was the queer community, mm-hmm. which at least, you know, for the most part seems to be relatively united on a lot of things, but then you start delving into that, pulling at threads in that, and that falls apart. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't say mm-hmm. falls apart, but that certainly like causes some wrinkles pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. But the thing that really caused the wrinkle was when I was like, yeah, like the theater community, we could talk about the theater community here and that that is a big thread to pull mm-hmm. because as we've kind of like mentioned in the other discussions, like things are so siloed off mm-hmm. in like, at least where we've been working mm-hmm. that like you remove one of those threads from the theater community. You might not even notice because you've never worked with those people and you are like, we're likely to never work with those people. Yeah. And so it means nothing in the end, unless you put up a united front for something against something. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah. I would kind of posit that there is no theater community, you know, at least yeah. on the on the sort of like municipal level of most cities I've worked in. There is no theater community. There's there's theaters, you know, but uh, I don't I've never seen it as a full united community, you know, and that might be it is that we just we say it's a community, but we don't really have any of the sort of like kind of functional things. I'd be interested to know what the kind of like you know, checklist is for things that would make up a community. Yeah. People are able to meet that. That's an interesting question, actually. I, you know, I, I've, I've yet to really formulate a genuine, uh, like, uh, sort of tangible definition for myself. I think I have like, sort of like strands of stuff that I'm forming. Um, I really like what you talk about, about like the idea of, um, you know, kind of having each other's back, you know, I, when I observe communities in the world, I always, I was framing it the other day in another interview about how, like, when you think about people you disagree with, you know, and you talk about like their politics, you talk about their culture or something like this. um, What I think a lot of people fail to remember is that these are, these are people who um, are, you know, very likely rooting themselves in fear and 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 that fear uh is for the protection of their group right you know they have a shared identity signifier whatever it might be maybe it's the you know that we we all b- 
believe in the same book or we all, you know, believe in the same old man. I don't know. Like, it's like, it's all uh, like they found some kind of totem to unite them. And, and, and that has created a, a sort of, some might call it a pseudo community. Some might call it a genuine community, but either way, the manifestation's the same in that they are willing to defend it. Right. And I might not necessarily agree with the, with the intention behind it, but like that is a form of community, you know? Um, and, and so I think that that sort of like, there's sort of a, there's a united something outside of you that I think is, is, is a, is a, one of the sort of like pins of, of a community, you know, um, whether it's, you know, Star Wars or politics or whatever it might be. Right. Um, yeah. And like the, the reason that the queer community had come to my head first was not particularly because I'm super involved in the queer community here sure. anymore. I used to be more involved, but just, you know, whatever your work have not been but like i know i don't know how much you followed saskatchewan politics um the, the saskatchewan government shit. just passed um some motions about education mm -hmm. and now uh children will be forcibly outed to their parents and mm -hmm. all of the like traditional kind of anti-trans mm -hmm. bullshit that's happened in the states has been hauled up mm -hmm. <laughs> to saskatchewan now called to new brunswick um, but like when you had originally kind of sent the questions, like they were just getting ready to do their big, um, protest in front of the legislature here. Mm -hmm. And so that was the first thing that had come to mind. Yeah. Um, and I was like, like that, that to me is a really good kind of encapsulation of community because I don't know, once again, in kind of my own head, comparing the theater community versus the queer community, I don't know if I would ever see a theater community do something even close to that here no. because, I don't know if I would actually define us as a community in a mm -hmm. functional way. <laughs> well, it would be self-serving in some way. You know what I mean? They people would get involved if it benefited them, which is which is a difference. You know, and I think that's another element of of communities that I that I observe in terms of like a healthy functioning community is someone who sort of has uh, almost like a, a a greater cause beyond just them. You know, it's yeah. something I, I don't personally like. I don't like the concept of fighting for something because I, I vote, you know, and I recognize the, the the holes in this logic and I recognize the privilege in this logic, but it's like, I do, I want to believe that the ideal presentation of life is a, a choice of nonviolence. Like we, we're not wild animals anymore. We live in civilization. We live in a society. Right. We live in, I was trying to stop myself from saying it, you know, um, I tell you were, and I was like, right, just have right, to right. You know, but it's like, you know, we live beyond just living in the wild anymore. And yes, we still have those instincts within us because we haven't evolved beyond them, but like we are in a place to be able to rationally question them. And, and we have been in that place for thousands of years, but we've decided to continually ignore that, you know? And, and so I think, um, if you're choosing to fight, you've already chosen to lose in a certain way because to fight means you have a chance to win or lose, you know? And, and so to me, it's more about like, you have, you have a, a, a cause that you're, you're willing to push for, you know, um, and accept that there will be sort of gains and losses within that, you know? Um, but uh, yeah. And I would say that that's probably why <clears throat> I would frame the queer community being much more uh, of a, of an actual definition of community over theater. <laughs> you know yeah i would agree and i'm like it's certainly something that i think once again like there's kind of gradations when we're talking about that kind of community because of course i think we can all agree it's good for the queer community to fight for you know rights yeah. but you know if saskatoon and regina decided to start some sort of intercity war between them 
for whatever reason, that why? What's the point of community then? What's yes. the actual point of that? Yep. Yeah. There's there's a safety, right? There's a safety involved in community. And I think that that's where where um some community some communities thrive even though they're actually pushing a really volatile um sort of dogma or ideology whereas like other other communities it doesn't catch on because the people who are pushing it aren't actually safe people you know um you know someone like a you know like 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 maga or like the proud boys or something like that like yeah. that's a community you know and while they're not safe to people outside of their community to the people inside the circle they're those are ride or dies you know and so like of course you want in on that if that if if you're if you're lost and you're alone and you and you're looking for you know someone to help you that connects with you exactly you know and then you buy in right because then you get into the into it you know and so like there's a there's a whether it's real or not there's a perceived safety within the circle you know and you don't want to be out in the wild right yeah and that's to say i'm like you don't want to be out in the wild it's like a really good encapsulation of it because and it you know tickles something primal <laughs> well, and that's just it and that's the funny like dichotomy right is that is that dialectics where dialectics where it's like uh both and you know um how it's like not one or the other it's like there's yeah. multiple truths and it's like you know we do live in a society and we and we are you know civilized people but also we do have instincts of like, well, I don't want to be alone in the winter, you know, like yeah. um, I need people around me. I am a social monkey. Right. So, yeah. you know, ape, sorry, I guess to, to be, uh. you know, proper, but uh, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's all fucked. If the multiverse is real, mm. what's one thing you hope is true for one of your alternate selves? I never got married. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. We can talk about that when we're not recording. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think I think it's that I never met the friend who set me up on the on the blind date. But uh, no, I mean it's it's um, uh, there's loads of things, right? There's loads of things. I I. It's funny. It's an element of my therapy, which is to which is to release those types of regrets and sort of to release those thoughts, you know, and to like and to really accept that it's like, well, that is what happened. And so why would I like keep hurting my feelings over what could have been because it's not what is, you know, and yes, so, I'll do this too. This right? is also roughly where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like quit, quit hurting yourself. You know, um, you're just sitting there punching yourself in the face over stuff that yeah. like cannot be changed. So just you're change the next thing. Man literally right yeah um so but like yeah there's loads of things you know i think um you know like i say i don't want to frame them as regrets but i think that it's like there were some um pivot moments in my life where if i went a different way things obviously would have been very different you know i think um i think if i hadn't um if i hadn't let myself sort of like recloset myself after after university you know if i had like stayed open about my queerness from the get-go you know i was um, gonna ask about this because yeah. i was on your instagram yeah. and i had some questions based I, on what i knew of you in my previous that's ex- <laughs> I was, that's exactly right you know what i mean and so you know there's that there's there's questions of just like what city I would have moved into, you know what I mean? Like when I when I had the chance right after I graduated, you know, I had options for moving to different cities. And so it's like, what if I had gone to, you know, Toronto straight out of university? What if I hadn't taken the this or that, you know, um, 
Um, so yeah, there's lots of, there's fun questions in that, but I just, I try to be very cautious around them because my brain is really good at here's point A and in an instant, I've thought of every worst case scenario all the yep. way to point Z, yep. you know? And so I have to be really mindful of like, if I'm going to let myself explore those thoughts, I have to be really cautious around like watching the yeah. spin out happen because it'll happen real fast and I'll get dysregulated instantly, you know? So um, they're fun thoughts, but they're dangerous, you know? <laughs> What about you? What do you think? What, what, uh, do you have a big, do you have one like, like, like turning point? I guess I, because I knew I would also kind of spin out if I picked like one particular thing. I said, I wish that other me was more forgiving mm. of myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that encompasses a lot mm-hmm. and it prevents me from spinning out. That is my, I wish alternate universe me is more forgiving of myself. Yeah. Well, you know, and I don't I don't mean to, you know, I, I, I sometimes get into uh, little ruptures with 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 a partner of mine um, about immediately jumping to fixer mode when when people are actually just wanting to be heard. But uh, I will say just an impulse thought of mine is the nice thing is you're not dead yet. So you could potentially become that alternate reality of yourself. Uh. Right? You know, <laughs> you might that you might. True. I'm not saying you will or won't. I'm just saying but that is could. true. And that's like that's what I hopefully working towards because mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's a basis for a lot of problems, a lot of anxiety. Big time. Uh, um, why don't we, I, I've only got the one other kind of core question, but um, just kind of clocking the time. Why don't we use, why don't we, why don't we uh, do your other question and then we'll kind of roll into you want a fun silly question now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it is a scholastic book fair. <gasps> oh, my dream. What are you picking? You have a not unlimited, but regular amount of money. You yeah. can buy definitely something. What are you getting at the well, classic store? Obviously, a, the new Goosebumps, no question. Um, <laughs> the new Goosebumps for sure. That's first. Um, actually, you know what? You know what is first is actually getting the flyer that yeah. they would send out. <laughs> Right. And like, yeah. and like, just like going over, just going over it and like imagining all of them. I think uh, definitely a goosebumps. Um, I would think about getting a poster because I always wanted to get a poster, but I never did. Um, yeah. Cause they always had fun, like animal posters and shit, you know, yeah. um, um, probably a where's Waldo. Cause I think they, I think they would still sell those. Um, oh, I, I remember having I a ton of them. Where's Waldo? Where's Waldo is a very good choice. Right? Right? I I, I, I want to say they were at Scholastic Book Fairs. I just know I had a bunch. So I have, right? I have yeah, to assume I they spy, were. And I spy was nothing compared to Where's Waldo. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah, the poor man's Where's Waldo. <laughs> <laughs> the strange Victorian ghost energy that emanates from every I spy. <laughs> um, I think... Um, Oh man, I just you know to me, it was like I wish I could just bottle the feeling of being inside the 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 folders, you know, yeah. like just the excitement. I honestly, I think the reason why I'm like incurably addicted to going to bookstores is because of the Scholastic Book Fair because like there's such like a comfort in just being around bookshelves, you know. Yeah. 
Um, and so I think I think I would well, exactly. Oh, I, I mean, you you know, it's not in shot, but like I've got four other bookshelves here. You yeah. know, like um, it's yeah. Obviously, the the new Goosebumps. Um, I'm trying to think of like other. I've got it. I got really big into this author that no one remembers. Um, uh, his the author was Eric Wilson, and he wrote these like. I can't remember. They, it was like Jack and Jane or something. Tom and Jane. They were brother and sister. They were sort of like Hardy Boys. Um, this kind of sounds familiar. They were like, like they were mysteries, but they were set in like Canadian landmarks. So there was like oh, yes. the okay, Vampires of Montreal or like Crisis yeah. at Disneyland or you know like or like I do kind of know what you're you know, talking about. Bears like, at Vancouver, you know. I need to see the covers. That's the big yeah. thing because I'm like the Scholastic Book Fair experience. I'm like you need to see the covers. Big time, um, big time. I'm kind of laughing though because my first thought was also rl stein the exactly first one. but not because i read goosebumps as a child i never did read goosebumps oh as a child. was it fear street or well my first thought was i would want a fear street book because yeah. as an adult that was what got me into rl stein was i watched right. the fear street trilogy on netflix and i was like this is bomb it was so good that's so good what, yes actually i've been meaning that's gonna be my very first when when october hits um that's gonna be the first thing i'm planning to watch actually i try to watch a one horror movie every day for october and i think i'm gonna open this year with that fear street because i haven't watched it since it came out and i remember it ruling i i've watched it so many times and I, I think the first time i watched it was like a year and a half ago and i've watched the whole thing so many times since and I like I went to all of my friends who had seen it, and they were like, "Oh, like yeah, I watched the first one, and like it was fine." So I didn't watch the rest. I was like, "No, because you have to watch all of them. You yeah. have to watch all yeah. of them." It's they one of the are, like I shouldn't say that. The second one I think is great on its own completely. Yes. Yeah, but I'm like the first one and the third one really only make sense if you've watched all three of them. Oh, fully. And, and the whole thing is so much more rewarding. Yes. Well, oh, and I would I I I got into a little bit of a debate uh right when it came out because i was so blown away by it that i was like this is one of the like uh, b like basically my thesis was like this is the modern example of a trilogy that bucks this trend and actually gets better with each iteration you yeah. know like um it's so rare for the third one to be the best one but i think the third one is the best one and I mean, only because if for nothing else the emotional payoff that comes yes. in the third one is so incredibly like rich and yep. interesting. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I know. I, yeah, I, I, yeah, we got it. You know, I forget who I was talking to. I think it was, I was, I must've still been in Saskatoon at the time, but, um, but we were trying to remember movie trilogies where the third one was the best one. And it's like, it, it's, there ain't many, <laughs> you know, Godfather. <laughs> right. Well, exactly. Right. You know, I think we came up with, um, um, oh, what was it? Uh, the Born, the Born trilogy. The third one is is kind of the best, but only really if you've watched all three. Um, and there was like one other one. I can't even think of it now because even that was I'm like not gonna, I'm not going to argue the point. I could see, and I will accept the point from some people that Last Crusade might be the best Indiana Jones. Oh no, it's the worst one. Oh, I don't think so. <laughs> Temple of Doom exists. No, Temple of Doom rules. Oh, come Temple on. Temple of Doom, <laughs> yeah. I agree that it rules. I agree all three of them rule. <laughs> right. Especially in relation to the fourth one. Um, yeah, yeah. But I'm like, when you, I think that objectively, Raiders of the Lost Ark and Last Crusade are easily the two best in the, the original trilogy. Mm. And I 
I would argue it's Raiders just because I think Raiders is like a perfect. Oh, of course. Oh, of course. Yeah. The first one is easily the best one. Yeah. Yeah. I, oh my God. I love this fucking dirty ass movie talk. Um, I just, I, when, when, when (laughs) when I ask, literally, what I always ask about Indiana Jones is when was the last time you actually watched them? Oh, I watched. Okay. I watched Young Indiana Jones last. That would have been the last thing I would have watched. <laughs> um, the reason I ask it is because if you haven't gone back and watched them recently, um, like the third one is just a worse version of the first one. Like it's like structured I, yeah. almost identically. And it's just I would agree with that. Fun, like, you again, know? I don't think I would make the argument, but I would entertain the argument from totally, someone. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I, 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 I don't know why I get so. Uh, no, I do know why because I have oppositional defiance. But um, I get so like <laughs> I get so um, like dug in about Indiana Jones because I'm like, no, fuck Sean Connery. He ruins everything. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he is not the best Bond, and you're lying to yourself if you say he is. I know? would agree that he's not the best Bond. I fully agree with you. That's Roger Moore, you know? <laughs> and I don't think it's Roger. Okay, so <laughs> this is very fun because my partner also does not agree with me. I think, personally, I love George Lazenby's. He's actually really good. That movie's actually really good. It's a great movie. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. Just generally, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, bomb. Yeah. Such a good Bond movie. Yep. The and one like, that... Uh, uh, sorry, I didn't mean yeah. to cut you off there. But my partner, um, Timothy Dalton. He loves Oh, you know, the reason I don't count Timothy Dalton is that I think he's great, but his movies suck, you know, whereas George Lazenby's is a good movie, you know, so it's easier to like him. Um, Well, and I'm like, I don't know if I would say the movies suck, but I'm like, to me, they don't feel like Bond movies. No, no, they're like Contra. They're like, they're trying to be like Commando movies, you know, Um, although I do love young Benicio Del Toro, you know, Um, (laughs) of... For years, I'd always be like, we gave her a honeymoon. (laughs) (laughs) But but, uh, the thing about Roger Moore for me, it's, it's, I mean, he was, he was the first Bond I really watched as a kid. And so I loved him because he was so kid friendly. Um, At least you think he is. Um, But for me, it's, there is not a single Roger Moore movie where the theme song isn't an absolute all timer. Like he's, his run is the best music that's ever been made you know like i still listen to like i'll listen to those theme songs just as like on my playlist you know like oh fucking all-time high forget about it forget about it you know (laughs) god it's so good um oh god i need to just go put that on now but (laughs) 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 um you know um I've only got one other question, which is just sort of like the tip of the week moment. But like before we do, um, you know, I I I really want to thank you for coming on the show, and I want to thank you for taking the time to chat with me. I I you know I know. Look, we could talk for hours more, and we could get much deeper and darker. And you know, there's there's probably potential that we'll hit. We'll stop recording and chat a little longer and kind of talk. Probably. But, I was um, like, now I have to figure out what your first week of horror movies is in October. Literally, be watching Friday the Thirteenth, and I'm like. <laughs> What a ride. <laughs> yes. Um, have you gotten to Axel? I'm not going to fake any more orgasms for you. 
<laughs> not quite i think that's literally the next one yes it's right at the start it's my all-time favorite. i talked about it earlier in a different interview and <laughs> it's it's my all-time favorite horror movie line i just i every time i'm just like i desperately want to get to jason x again because i love it it's so stupid it's so stupid in all of the best ways but like and... the two in the like virtual room when he's got the two yeah in the <laughs> he's, head, back. And he's just back and forth <laughs> <laughs> it's outrageous no and leah's just like i am not watching that one i will not watch that one again oh. i cannot do it it's absurd it's so good too. i mean all of them are you know i just i i in the other interview i talked about how i was like i just I see Jason as like a like a serial killing dildo. Like it's just like he's yeah, just he's, he's just a nothing. He's just a nothing thing, you know. And and it's awful and vulgar and gratuitous and so base and so fucking detrimental to like mental health and society <laughs> as a whole. But there's something like bizarrely and perversely comforting about slasher movies that i like yeah. i think the people who get it get it the people who don't that's fine you know like i yeah. there's no way i'm ever going to convert you you know <laughs> but. no i would agree i well i was watching i don't know if you watch dead meat at all or listen to oh dead like meat. the like um the kill count like the, yeah. the youtube channel oh yeah a yeah, lot, other lot of them. yeah they i think it was them at least described the 2009 friday the 13th as kind of like a greatest hits of all of the other ones. Yes. And it literally 180 in my opinion of that movie. Cause I was like, that movie is horrid. Yeah. And now I have watched it and actually kind of love it. Cause I'm like, yeah. it is, it is the best of all the previous Friday the 13th. They just the condensed it all. Jason, the best kind of beats from the previous ones, mm -hmm. the funniest kills. Yep. Great. Yep. Yeah. Um, there's a few, t by, by the time a movie like that, by the time you're making a movie in 2009 and you're like flashing tits though, like, I think you've lost the plot, but like, there's something to me. There's something to me about like 1970s boobs versus like 19, like 2010 boobs that I'm like, ooh, I don't, I don't like this. But um, but that I don't know. That's just I'm sure that's some kind of like internalized misogyny that I, I have to unpack myself, you know. But <laughs> we had the longest conversation about breasts in horror movies like <laughs> two months ago because my brother was here doing a show. And one of his actors was staying with us, and I showed them Trick or Treat for the first time. Oh. They never ever seen Trick or Treat, and that werewolf transformation sequence—they were just like, "Why? Why are there hard nipples?" And I'm like, "I don't know. It's 2010." Yeah, yeah. They they kind of missed the plot, but you know, but uh, that's a fucking great. That's a great one. It's a Jesus great Christ. movie. Yeah. Um, okay, we have to we have to wrap this part up because uh, we will talk for hours about it. But yeah. you know, before I get to the question, I just I really want to say thank you, and I want to just say like you know you've 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 without going deep in it and without spinning us off too much, like you know I had a really shit end to my experience with SBC and with Saskatoon as a whole, and and yeah. and I know that one of the fallouts of that was losing contact and losing connection with you, and. And I'm really grateful that you reached out and I'm really grateful that you reconnected. And, and it, this hour has really reminded me that I absolutely adore you. And I, yes. and I, and it really, yeah, this is just, this has meant a lot to me. And so I really want to thank you for, 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 for coming on and chatting with me and just being as amazing as you are, you know? Thank you, James. <laughs> well, I, don't, I don't know how to respond to that. I, like I said, I miss you on the board. I missed like, your presence in the community because I think that we don't have enough people who think mm -hmm. like you uh, make the kind of suggestions that you do. And like, and like, I mean, I know you had a shit time right at the end, but I'm like, your attitude to me was always great. 
Yeah. I always loved having you around. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, um, the very last question is, is a little kind of tip for the listeners. I always love to leave on like a little bit of like, uh, try this at home. Um, so what's one thing you think people could do um, to try and be a better friend either to themselves or to their community this week? This week in particular? Yeah, just kind of as a, as a little... I mean, recognizing the episode's going to come out in like two months, but you know. <laughs> okay. I was like, this week in particular, I was like, start celebrating Halloween now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it makes everyone's life better. Yeah. Um, get together with people. If it's coming, if this episode's coming out in two months, we're going to be in the dead of winter. Get together with people. Mm-hmm. It honestly makes such a difference in the middle of winter when you see your friends. Mm hmm. Mm hmm like kind of see them in person you mean like just like yeah i mean see them in person i mean make a plan and do something even if you are not going out i am not a going out person i like people coming to my house and just chilling ordering pizza and doing nothing yeah but just do something in person it makes such a difference in the middle of winter yeah man it i mean and it's like obviously i mean the saskatchewan winters are fucking brutal but it's like (laughs) It's just as isolating out here with the, you know, like this Vancouver kind of dies after, after, yeah, right. Yeah, you know, the rain like kind of right in your own little like apartment shacks, basically. Ex- literally. That's, that's a perfect way of putting it. Um, yeah, no, I love that. And I just, you know, I think the more we get away from, I, you know, I mean, again, I know this is a huge topic that I'm accidentally op- opening up, but it's like, you know, the, the, the anxiety around seeing people in person has been so real for so long that I think we've lost um, the excitement that comes out of like kind of attuning to like a, a physical body around you, you know, and the, and the, and the regulation that comes out of that, you know? And so, yeah, I absolutely second that suggestion of like, yeah. go, go like, touch a friend, you know? Yep. And I'm like, you can be as comfortable as you want. I still mask up when I go out in public. Exactly. Depending who's coming here, I still mask up at my own house. Mm -hmm. You can do whatever, but be around your friends in person. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Thank you so much. One more time. Is there, um, is there anywhere you'd like listeners to find you? Anything, anything kind of coming up in future months? I'm not really. I avoid social media, like the plague as much as possible. (laughs) I doom scroll Instagram now because it's at least the safest thing for me to doom scroll. Worst thing I get is ads. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Well, and the algorithms change too. So it's like, you barely see your friends anymore. It is mostly ads now. Oh God. Yeah. (laughs) It is fine. I would rather look at some beautiful leather bag than, some asshole's thoughts on the current political situation <laughs> literally literally fuck well good <laughs> luck with that god bless and thank you one more time i hope you have yourself just the best friggin' day <laughs> you too james <laughs> and that's it Thank you one more time to Landon for coming on the show. What a pleasure it was to catch up with him. Um, we ended up chatting for like a solid hour or two after we hung up and uh, ooh, the tea that was spilt. <laughs> if you love the show, please make sure to rate and review it anywhere you listened. They help out so much and it is completely free for you. Speaking of free, have you signed up for the Friendless Substack yet? 
Every Wednesday, straight to your inbox, you're getting updates with a curated playlist for the month, along with recommendations for movies, music, books, poems, all kinds of fun stuff, along with a little mini essay from yours truly, and a few little goodies sprinkled in here and there, depending on what my energy level is. Speaking of energy, good old insomnia has kicked in yet again, and I did not sleep, so I have nothing else to add here. I'm just going to wrap this up with a thank you so much. I appreciate you listening every week, coming back for more, and I hope to see you back next week with a brand new episode. But what do I always say? Let's not worry about that for now, because that is then, and this is now. So for now, I'll just say I love you, and I wish you well. Fun and safety, sweeties.